Well, good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning, and uh, I, I have uh, uh, some things I need to say before we jump into our message. Um, just for clarity, I did not misspell the word bluegrass. I just used it in the wrong context. And uh, it's obvious I'm not from around here, and uh, that's no uh, surprise to any of you, but uh, apparently I have offended the bluegrass community greatly. And uh, so as I did in the first service, I'll do in this service and publicly repent of my sin for using the word bluegrass, separate words, blue and grass, rather than the correct way, which is bluegrass, one word. And uh, so please forgive me of my uh, horrible and outrageous sin uh, of, of misrepresenting the bluegrass community. And, uh, but I hope that you enjoyed our bluegrass worship. And uh, so let's give our hand to our worship team as they led us this morning. And uh, I know I saw some foot stomping and some hands clapping and some knees bouncing. It was good. And so, um, so this morning we are continuing our series on uh, the word contagious. And so for the past few weeks we've been looking at uh, contagious and what it means to be a contagious church. And if you remember during the first week, we talked about how uh, God created the church to be a contagious church. It was always his idea from the very beginning. Uh, God's plan for the church was not to be the church just for the people inside the walls of the church, but to be the church for the people outside the walls of the church, that we are to be contagious. And then last week, we, did, uh, we looked at that there's too much at stake not to be contagious. And we talked about how um, that, that we need to do some things uh, for the sake of the gospel, that everything we do needs to be done for the sake of the gospel. It also needs to be done for the sake of our community and for the sake of the church and for the sake of the one who's never heard the good news. And so there's too much at risk. There's too much at stake to not do it for the sake of those things. And so if you missed last week, uh, I just invite you, encourage you, go online, warehousechurch.life, and listen and get caught up on what it means to be a contagious church. And today I want to look at what makes a church healthy. Because here's what I know, is that only healthy churches are contagious churches. Now, I know that sounds really weird, right? Like when you're contagious, usually you're contagious with something you don't want. But we want to be contagious with something that people need, not only want, but need. And so to be a healthy church, we have to be a contagious church. Now, to get us thinking about this, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you this. What do you have to do to celebrate your 96th birthday? Well, what are the things that you have to do now if you're going to be celebrating your 96th birthday, 40 years down the road, 50 years down the road, 30 years down, whatever it is, what do you have to do now? And now uh, you may be wondering, well, where is this coming from? Well, I don't know if you knew it or not, but Queen Elizabeth is 96 years old. And we don't know what Her Majesty the Queen's exercise program has been like over the past decades. And we'll probably never know if she had a personal trainer or how often she went to the gym. We don't know how she coped with all the grueling daily schedule of public life and private engagements for more than 70 years as under her reign. And along the way, I know that she probably had to eat some really uh, an awful lot of rich food at state banquets and business meetings and, and garden tea parties. And you wonder, how in the world did she stay healthy for that long? And, and I suspect one of the reasons that Her Majesty has enjoyed a long and healthy reign is because of her regular appointments with her doctor, right? Like, I bet that she has, she probably doesn't even have to go to the doctor. Like, the doctor comes to her on a regular basis and gives her a checkup and, and, and make sure that everything's going well, her levels are good, that she has a regular checkup. 
And I wonder, like, when was the last time you went to the doctor? Now, my wife is already heckling me because I hate to go to the doctor. Like, I have to be dying on my deathbed to get me to go to a doctor because I just, I just don't like it. I don't know why. I don't like to go to the doctor. But, but we should. And so I'm just telling you that I'm telling me that we should go to the doctor on a regular basis. We should go and get our blood pressure checked. We should get our weight checked, our cholesterol checked, our kidney functions, our glucose, all those different things. We should have all those things checked on on a regular basis. Like getting our annual checkup should be as regular to us as getting our oil changed in our car. And it's definitely more important than that. And likewise, I would suggest to you that churches need checkups too. That churches need spiritual checkups. And so this morning, I want us to look at the marks of a healthy church. I want us to take a dive into what does it make, what makes a healthy church? Because when you go get your annual checkup at the doctor, they have a list, right, of things that they're checking off. They're like, blood pressure is good, glucose, glucose is good, uh, this is good, blood is good, all that. And they have a list. And so the church also in the Bible has a list of things that make a healthy church. Because here's what I want you to remember, that only Healthy churches are contagious churches. But before we do, before we look at these five marks or these five markers of a healthy church, uh, I want to show you from Scripture how a once contagious church drifted from its mission and became a dead church. That there's a church in the Bible that started off really strong, started off making an impact and a difference in the world, but eventually it drifted from its original mission. And we find that it was a dead church, that it died. You see, the church at Ephesus was once a contagious church. It has a book in the Bible called Ephesians that Paul wrote to it. And so the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians, was once a really thriving and contagious and healthy church, but it eventually lost its way. And let me show you how the Bible unpacks it for us, because the story begins in Acts chapter 18, and that is where uh, it begins its, its, its birth as a church, and then it finally we see its death or its demise in Revelation chapter 2. And the word Ephesus literally means, and I love this because people, and we still do this today, you call cities or you call towns after what they're known for. And so Ephesus, the word Ephesus means desirable. And in many ways, the community of Ephesus was a desirable place to live. Like everybody wanted to move to Ephesus. It was just an amazing place. It was a the epicenter of travel, like you, did, you didn't go anywhere unless you went through Ephesus. It was a huge commerce city, so you could buy anything that you could ever possibly want or dream of in Ephesus, and it was one of the greatest seaports of its time. Everything came and left, like uh, goods and, 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 and travel, everything happened in the city of Ephesus. And on Paul's, the Apostle Paul, his second missionary journey, he visited Ephesus, and as he visited there, he fell in love with it. And, and after leaving Corinth, he eventually came back and he planted a church in Ephesus around 52 AD. And, and a couple of year, years later, after uh, his third missionary journey, uh, he spent two to three years in Ephesus. He lived there for two to three years preaching and teaching in a school called Tyrannus. And it was a rented building where he would have school. And in the school, he would spend time uh, teaching about false doctrines. And he would spend time teaching about pagan practices that were there. And the school was so successful that in Acts chapter 19, verses 18, 20, it says that those who were practicing magic and these pagan practices, they would bring their books 
and they would burn them as a, a, an act of repentance. I don't know, like in the 70s and a lot of youth groups, you would bring like your tapes and your records and you would have like record burnings, like you would bring your ACDC or whatever and you would burn them there. And that's kind of what was happening in the school of Tyrannus. They would bring these books uh, and they would burn them. And, and now this really was uh, off-putting or it really put a hurting on the silversmiths that were making a living in Ephesus. Because here's what they would do is they would create these little um, idolatrous images of these pagan gods. And that's how they made their livelihood because everybody had like five or six of these different gods uh, in, their, in their house and they would buy these things and everybody wanted them. And so everybody, it was like a McDonald's toy, but it was a lot more expensive than a Happy Meal. And, and they would all buy these things. And, and so when people started burning their stuff and when people started leaving these pagan gods, guess what happened? People stopped buying them. And so the silversmiths like rioted. And they had this huge uproar in Acts chapter 19 at the end, and verses 26 through 41. And so eventually the city, uh, it all clears up. And after it clears up and after it's settled, Paul leaves from Macedonia. And, and we find that the story continues that several months later that Paul met with the elders from the church at Ephesus, that they meet on a nearby island. And, and, they, and he makes this farewell address to them in Acts chapter 20. And it's kind of a sad chapter because what Paul is saying is he's telling this church that he loved and this church that is healthy and growing. He's saying, listen, you guys aren't going to see me anymore. The Holy Spirit's calling me to this other place. And the Holy Spirit's already kind of led me to know that that's going to be like my, where my demise is. That's going to be where I end up in jail and eventually die. And so there's this mutual love in, the, in, the, in chapter 20 where they're weeping together and they're crying together. And they're crying not just over Paul's death or eventual death, but they're crying over the fact of what God has done and continues to do in Ephesus. And they knew that they wouldn't see Paul again. And as Luke records their conversation and acts and their prayer with one another, it's evident, it's obvious that the church in Ephesus is doing really good. Like it is a healthy church. It is growing in its faith. It is a picture of health and they are spreading the gospel and they're growing like wildfire. It's a contagious church and, and everybody's excited about it. And about a decade after the church had started, Paul's in prison now and he wrote a letter to the Ephesians commending them on their faith and love. And it's in, your, it's in the New Testament. It's called the, the letter to the Ephesians. And so he writes this from prison and he's telling them uh, how great they're doing and what an awesome job. And he says, hey, don't forget to put on the armor of God because that's found in Ephesians. He's telling them how to live as a church and he's giving them all this great stuff and, and commending them and they continue to do well as a church. So 10 years in and they're still doing really well. They're living their mission. They're spreading the gospel. They're sneezing on people and, and things are going really well. And they appear to be this be fervent in their faith and, and well-organized and busy in the gospel. And so during these early years of the church, uh, they're, they're, they're doing everything right and they're growing and they're expanding and they're doing the will of God. And Paul, at the end of, uh, of the book of Ephesians, he commends them. He commends them on how well they're doing and he uses these words. He says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. And he's like, listen, guys, I love what you're doing, and I love that you're loving God, that you're devoted to God, and you're telling others about him. And then we see later on in, in Paul's letter to Timothy. So Timothy was Paul's like apprentice or protege, and, and, uh, and he writes two letters in the New Testament to Timothy. And in the first letter, we begin to see some evidence of doctrinal drift. 
uh, happening at the church at Ephesus. They're beginning to forget why they do what they do. They're beginning to change some of their thinking. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Paul writes this. He says, as I urged you, talking to Timothy, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, I want you to stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And so what Paul does is he says, listen, Timothy, I want you to be the pastor at the church at Ephesus. And here's some things you need to know. The church is beginning to drift. It's beginning to drift away from the message of the gospel. They're beginning to believe things that they shouldn't be believing and teaching things that they shouldn't be teaching. And so I need you to be a strong leader there. And he says, then as we fast forward uh, through uh, Timothy and we get to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, as we get to Revelation, we see that the church at Ephesus has had some really, has had some significant struggles and that we can see that the church has apparently undergone a church split that they've gone one church, part of the church has gone one way and another has gone the other, that false teachers had arisen in the church, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, different people like that, and, and they claim to have a deeper knowledge of the things of God. And as they do that, they claim that they have the secret, the secret to knowing Christ. But in reality, what they were doing was declining uh, his bodily incarnation. They were declining, they were, they were refuting his resurrection and his deity. They were saying, Jesus isn't really the son of God. He really didn't rise from the dead. And they taught many other heretical concepts as well. And maybe they chose, like maybe they chose to take some elements of pagan religions and blend them in with Christianity to be more acceptable to the pagan culture. Like we would never do that in 2022, right? Like we would never take things from outside of the church and try and bring them in and water down the gospel so that everybody feels good and comfortable. We would never do that. But that's what was happening in the church at Ephesus. They began to allow the culture to dictate what they were doing. And around 81 uh, AD to 96 AD, we have the apostle John. And he, uh, you know him, he was the one that was banished to the island of Patmos. He's the one that wrote the book of Revelation. And, and during this time, the Lord uh, gives John a revelation, right? He gives him a revelation of what the church is going to look like. He also, at the beginning of Revelation, he gives him some, uh, he, he takes and he gives assessments of seven churches. Like he tells John, listen, I want you to write this letter and I want you to tell these seven churches some things. I've got some things they need to hear. And one of those churches was the church at Ephesus. And here's what the Lord said about the church at Ephesus. He begins by complimenting them, which in all the seven letters to the seven churches, he compliments them on their good things, on the things that they did well. And so he compliments the church of Ephesus for their good works. They're like, hey, y'all are doing some really good stuff. You're feeding the hungry. You're taking care of the poor. You're doing some good stuff. But then he rebukes them. And he rebukes them quite harshly for forgetting their first love. In other words, the Lord tells John to tell the church at Ephesus, listen, y'all have drifted. You've forgotten why you do what you do. You don't love me like you used to love me. You don't love me like when we first started. And so he commands them. He gives them a command. He says, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. He says right away in, in Revelation chapter 2 and in the first seven verses, he says, you got to repent. You repent of your sin because you're not being the church, not the church I created you to be. And you're preaching things that I never taught you to preach. So I want you to repent. And then he says, and not only do I want you to repent, but I want you to remember. I want you to remember the things that you first did. 
Remember how you used to be contagious. Remember how you used to sneeze on people. Remember how you used to teach uh, my truths to others. He says, I want you to remember. And then he says, I want you to repeat that. I want you to go back and do the things that you first did when you were first a church. And we have no way of knowing no way of knowing of whether the church at Ephesus ever corrected their problems. Like, we don't know if it took them a couple seasons of correcting the problems. We don't know if they ignored uh, John's letter. But sadly, we do know this. We know that the church at Ephesus died sometime during the second century. It was no longer healthy, and it was no longer contagious, and it eventually shut its doors and never to reopen again. And so today in America, I don't know if you realize this or not, but more churches are closing their doors every day that new churches are being started. That more churches in America are putting for sale signs on their front lawn today in America than those that are starting new churches like those in the high schools that are meeting in warehouses or meeting in restaurants. That they can't keep up with the amount of churches that are closing their doors. And, and here's what I know is that more churches than that are no longer healthy. And because they're no longer healthy, Many churches in America today are no longer contagious. They're no longer contagious. And so I want to ask the question, what makes a healthy church? Like what makes a church healthy so that it can be contagious? And uh, thankfully, the Bible gives us some insight on what makes a church a healthy church in Acts chapter 2. And I don't know if you've ever read Acts, but let me just encourage you, uh, if you've never read Acts, uh, go back and read it. Like, it is just an amazing book that tells the story of the first church and how it got started. And it tells so many of the main characters. It talks about Paul. It talks about Luke. It talks about John. And so many great characters in uh, the first church that we can learn from. But in Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open it up with me. And we're going to read verses 42 through 47 together. Because here is where we find the five marks of a healthy church. And I want you to remember this, though. And I want you to remember that the first century church, as we read this, the first century church was made up of individuals just like you and me. It was made up of individuals who each took responsibility for the health of the church. You see, the health of the church is not, uh, a church isn't made healthy by its leaders. They're a part of it. But a healthy church, a contagious church, is made up of each and every person taking responsibility for their part. Ephesians talks about the body of Christ, and it talks about how each of us has a role to play. Some of us are the big, uh, the big toe on our feet. Others of us, uh, whatever reason, we're the nose. Some of us are, 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 are the ears. Some of us uh, are the elbows. We all have a role to play. And if our church is going to be healthy, all of us have to get involved and play our part and play our role. And so keep that in mind as we read this, uh, this, this, this really example or this prescription for a healthy church. And here's what it says, starting in verse 42 of Acts 2. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they being the church. So the church, the first church, devoted themselves. And devoted is not just some little word. It's not like, eh, we kind of, we gave what we had. But devoted means they gave everything that they had. They gave all of their time, all of their resources. So they devoted. It's a big word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, says all of them, everybody say all. all. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so this passage really is a beautiful picture of a spirit-filled church. Like if you want to know what a spirit-filled church looks like, that's the picture of it. That's what, what it is. That's, described, that's the description of a church that is living on mission, of a church that is contagious, of a church that is filled with the Spirit. And, and so what made this church so healthy? What made this church so contagious? Well, let's unpack this and let's look at five things. So five markers of a healthy church. And, uh, and the first one that we see here is this, that they were a learning church. They were a learning church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, you know what that means? That means that they sat up front, y'all. That means that they didn't sit back there. They sat up here because they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So I'll give you, I'll give you grace this week. But next week, all right, because we're a healthy church. So they devoted themselves. No, really, uh, they devoted themselves to a healthy church, which means they they really did sit at the apostles' feet because they were hungry. They were hungry to learn, and they they persevered in it. Like they didn't always understand everything that they were teaching, but they persevered and they wanted to understand because they were a learning church. And, and here's something so cool. I love this in this passage that their teachings were really authenticated or backed up by their miracles. Because it said that many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And so what they were preaching was actually happening. And so as they preached and they talked about sneezing on people, guess what happened? The church actually went out and sneezed on people and more people came. Because here's what they were doing. They were taking what they were learning and they were actually applying it to their daily lives. And so it says that many miraculous signs and wonders were done. And so a healthy and contagious spirit-filled church is a church that is devoted to the word of God. It's a church that rightfully and, and, and justly dissects and, and shares the word of God and gives the truth to others. And this is why Timothy, Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter four, he says, hey, listen, Timothy, until I come, until I can make it, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Like they didn't all have a Bible, they didn't all have one to take home. They didn't have a Bible app. They didn't have the Version Bible app. And so they didn't have the Bible in their hands. And so they would gather together and they would read it publicly. And Paul's like, listen, dedicate or devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. Paul's like, we need to be a learning church. A healthy church is a learning church. And that's why here at Warehouse Church, we are so adamant about people getting involved in warehouse groups. We're adamant about it because we feel it's so important for you to be in a group if you're going to grow as a Christian. We want to be a learning church and we want to provide opportunities for you to learn. And so hearing sermons is good and it's important and, and, and personal Bible reading and Bible study is good and it's important, but there's no substitute for discussing and learning in a small group. Like there's just something that happens in a small group when you can bounce ideas off of one another. When you can say, well, I hear the word devoted. I never really thought of it that way. Can you help me understand that? And you can talk about things. You're like, I really didn't get what that was about. Help me understand that. Or so what you're saying is, and you can, you can, you can ask good questions and you can learn in small groups. So, so we believe that around here that, that yes, you can grow in rows, but we believe that there's no better way to grow but in circles and being in small groups. And so, so we want to encourage you, or I want to encourage you, to sign up for warehouse groups this fall. 
This fall is going to be exciting because we're going to be doing 40 days in the Word together. And what we're going to be doing is a study that, that dives into how do we study the Bible? Like, how do we understand what we're reading? Because here's what I hear so often. I hear, hey, Pastor Rick, uh, I, I, I read my Bible, but half the time I don't understand what it's saying. Like, I don't get it. And so this 40 days in the Word is going to give you some tools to help you to study the Word of God. And here's the cool thing about it. You're going to study some Scripture together. And you're going to learn together how to understand uh, what the Word of God is saying to you so that you can feed yourself. So you don't have to rely on what's happening here on Sunday mornings to grow in your faith. We want you here on Sunday mornings, but we want you to be able to feed yourself. So I want to encourage you to sign up. Sign up for warehouse groups. We're having our kickoff uh, on September 7th on Wednesday night, and then we'll start our study on, on the 14th. And so the first church, number one, they were a learning church. Number two, they were a caring church. Everybody say caring. caring. Why don't you look at the person next to you and, or behind you and say, I'm so glad you're here. I love you. Like you didn't even have to drive the same car to say that to somebody. Because here's how the first church was. Like they were a caring church. They cared about one another. They, it says in the scripture, they devoted themselves to fellowship. All the believers were together and had everything in common. It says they sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. And the word fellowship in the original Greek is the word koinonia. And, and, and when I was growing up, every church had a Sunday school class called koinonia class. And basically it's a fellowship uh, it's doing life together. And here's how God created the church. He created us to do life together. And, and so we do life together with God, but then we also do life together with one another, with other believers. And it's so important that we do life together. And that's how the, the first church was. They did life together. They were caring for one another. And, and here's something I need you to hear. There can be no silos in, Christ, in the Christian life. Like, you can't do the Christian life on your own without community. Like, that's just not the way God created it. You'll get yourself in trouble every time. Every time you say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need a small group. I don't need to. I can do this on my own. I just watch church online. I'm good. You can't do it. Amen. Like, you need to be in community. I always say this. We're better together. We're always better together. And so the first church did life together. But koinonia also has another meaning. So it's a Greek word that has a couple meanings, and it also means generous. And it's evident to us that as we read this passage that the first century church was generous. They cared about each other and their generosity. And Luke describes it this way, that the first century church, the first century Christians, they shared their stuff with one another. Like they didn't, they didn't live in some communal living. Some people take it too far and say, oh, they all lived in like a commune. That's not what happened because it says that they had dinner at their homes. They had homes. And, uh, and so they didn't like sell all their property and just live out of one uh, pile of money. But what they did do is if I saw that Wendell had a need uh, and I had some extra property, I might go sell my property and give him some of the proceeds to help him out. Or maybe I see that James, James needs to borrow my drill. And so James comes over and says, hey, Rick, I need to borrow your drill. And I willingly say, absolutely, here you go. What's mine is yours. Or maybe, uh, maybe um, someone comes and says, I need a cup of sugar. And you're like, fine, I got here, have two. Like you can have the whole jar, just bring it back when you're done. And so they just took care of each other. And they made a difference in our community because back then that just wasn't happening. Just like kind of today, that just doesn't happen. I mean, it's sad that it takes a natural disaster like floods to get a community to start acting like a community. Like we should be doing that all along. We should be taking care of people long before the disaster comes. 
And so that's what the first century church was doing. They were taking care of the people inside the church, and they were taking care of the people outside the church. And people noticed it, and they wanted to be a part of it. So they were a caring church. Number three, they were a worshiping church. They worshiped. Uh, Our passage says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And every day, listen to this, every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Listen, they worshiped together, y'all. Like the temple courts, that was like the place where everyone hung out. Like that was the center of the community. And so they would gather in the temple courts daily. Maybe they'd have a quick devotion. Maybe as they were eating their granola bar and, and drinking their honey uh, and, and, their, and, their, and their, uh, their, their water, they would sit there and they would have a devotion together. They would worship, though, on a daily basis together. They would find ways to be together and worship. And they worshiped in their homes and they worshiped in church. They celebrated They celebrated the Lord's Supper together often. Breaking the bread doesn't just necessarily mean that they had a meal together. It's not like they went to to Billy Ray's and had a meal together. But it also means that they were were celebrating the Lord's Supper together. They were worshiping. So not only was the church um, uh, a caring church, not only was it a learning church, but it was a worshiping church. They made, uh, worship was a big deal. And it 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 was important to them. Like they were in the temple any chance they could get. Like, you know, today that in, 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 the, in the world we live in, that the average people, the average monthly attendance is one time a month. That people say, I go to church, and the average is once a month that they'll come to church. But that's not how the healthy church was. The healthy church was like, any chance we had, we were here. Any opportunity we could get, we were there because the church was a priority. Worshiping together was a priority. So they were a church that grew deeper through Bible study. They were a church that grew warmer through fellowship. They were a church that grew stronger through worship. And number four, they were a praying church. They were a praying church. Our passage says that they devoted themselves to prayer. And, and, this, should have, and this would have been both individually praying and corporately praying or together in community. And here's what I've always said. I've always said that a church that prays together grows together. And just yesterday, we gathered. We had our third prayer gathering of the year. We have four prayer gatherings a year. And so a few of us gathered together, and we prayed. We prayed for one another. We prayed for our church. We prayed for our leaders. We prayed for our community. We prayed for the nation. Because we got to be people of prayer. Because if we're going to be a healthy church, which means we're going to be a contagious church, we have to be a church that prays together. And so every time we have a prayer gathering, we should be full. This place should be full, packed full of people wanting to come together and to pray. And so we must devote ourselves to praying for one another. We should be asking ourselves, even in, 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 on Facebook or by text message or calling, hey, what is it I can be praying for you today? I thought about you. How can I be praying for you? We should be sharing prayer requests. We just set up an email. Uh, if you want to share your prayer request, it's prayer at warehousechurch.life. If you have prayer requests, you'll send it to us, and I will, I will be praying for you. And we're hopefully in the future, my dream is to have a prayer team, that when you send that email saying, listen, I need you to pray for this, and maybe it's something you don't want to put out on the prayer and announcements page on Facebook, and you're like, I just want a small group of people praying for this, and, and you send it out, and we're going to pray for you, because we need to be a church that prays for one another. We need to pray for our leadership. Not only do you pray for your pastor, but pray for the leaders in your church. Pray for our student leaders. Pray for our kids' leaders. Pray for the leaders that do our welcome area. We need to be praying for our leaders, but we also need to pray for our community. 
Like it's easy right now. There's no shortage of things to be praying for for our community. You know what to pray for, but we should be praying for our community often. We should be praying for the leaders of our community. We should be praying for our schools. We should be praying for our businesses. We should be praying for uh, our neighbors. We should always be praying for our community. We must be people of prayer. Not just individually. Not just in our own little prayer closets. But also together in community with one another. And so the first church, they prayed often. And they didn't just pray at home and they didn't just ask the pastor to pray, but they all prayed. They all prayed. I love it. Anytime I go to an event and it's time to bless the meal, all eyes are like, hey, pastor, will you pray for us? I'm like, am I the only person that has the direct connection with God? No, like all of you can pray. Like, it's not just me. We need to be people of prayer. So we have to devote ourselves to praying. And, and, and that's what that first century church was. They were a praying church. They were a caring church. They were a worshiping church. They were a learning church. And then finally, the last thing is this. They were a witnessing church. They were a witnessing church. Verse 47 says that praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord did what? He added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, the first century Christians, they weren't so preoccupied with learning the word. They weren't so preoccupied with caring for one another or worshiping or praying that they forgot about witnessing. They took serious the idea of sneezing on other people. They were contagious. They were spreading the good news every chance they get. And I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that God has always been ascending God. Like God's idea for the church has never, ever, ever been these people in this room and no more. Like God's idea for the church has always been come together, get excited about what I'm doing, and then go out and share the good news and be witnesses to people out there. And so this is the dominant and overriding and all-compassing theme in the book of Acts. The spread of the Christianity through the sharing of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Now, we're not all great at it. Some of us are like scared to death of it, but we all should be looking for ways to spread the virus of the good news of Jesus Christ because healthy churches are ignited by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of Jesus. In other words, and hear this, the church is a missionary church. It's a church that should be living sent. It's a church that should always be out and about in the community, whether it is as a group or as individuals, spreading the good news of Jesus. Now, it's important for us to remember this. And this is the thing that gets people uh, tripped up is they're like, well, I don't know if I can share the gospel and get someone saved. It's not your responsibility to get someone saved. Because here's what the scripture says. It says that Jesus is the one that added to their number daily. Jesus is the one that did it. And here's the two important things I want you to remember. The first is that the Lord himself added to their number. God is the one that does the saving. We're just the mouthpieces. We're just the witnesses. We're just telling people what we saw. We're just telling people what we've experienced. We're just telling people what God's done in our lives. God does the saving. And he does it through the apostles' preaching. He does it through the witnesses of the church. He does it through the impressive love of their life together. And their example as they were praising God. Because see, here's the deal. When you start loving people differently, 
which is one of our core values. When you start loving people differently, you're going to get their attention. They're going to be like, hmm, there's something weird. There's something different. Why are you doing this? And they're going to ask the question. It may not be this question, but they're going to ask a question that's like this. Why do you do what you do? Why are you doing that? Why do you do this? And you have a great opportunity to be a witness and to share why you do what you do. So first, God did the saving. And the second thing is this, is that it says that he added to their number what? Daily. He added to their number daily. You see, the early church witness uh, was not an occasional or sporadic activity. It's not like they put on the calendar and said, hey, we're going to go witnessing on this day. It was a daily thing. Like they were living as witnesses. They were sneezing on people every single day. It wasn't a planned event. It, wasn't, it was intentional, but it wasn't planned. No, just as their worship was daily, so was their witness. And here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that worship and witness are two natural outflows of hearts that are full of the Holy Spirit. That when you have the Holy Spirit, when you're excited about what God's doing, when the Holy Spirit is activated in your life, two natural things come out of you. The first one is worship. You find yourself worshiping. You find yourself singing songs. You find yourself praising God. You find yourself saying, thank you, God, for my salvation. And it just happens. And it happens in moments you're like, hmm, where'd that come from? I don't know. Must have been the Holy Spirit. So a natural outflow is worship, but a second one is witnessing. That you begin to share the gospel and it just becomes natural to you. You just find ways to interject spiritual conversations into your normal everyday conversations. A lot of you are like, but I don't have time to do that. Like my life is busy. I'm not telling you to add anything to your life except for this. Fall in love with God. And when you fall in love with God, the natural outflow of that is worship and witness. And you do it as you do life. You do it as you do life. And so their outreach was continuous. And so constantly new believers were being added every day. And I think we need to recover that. I think we need to recover this expectation of people coming to know the Lord every day, that we don't have to wait for the altar call, that we don't have to wait for them to come to church on Sunday, but we can share and, and share the gospel with people every day of our lives. And we can invite people into a relationship with Jesus. And, and that will grow the church. And it's our responsibility as individuals to humble ourselves before the Lord and not to quench him and not to, not, to, not to push him down because we're distracted or we're busy or we don't have time or we're uncomfortable or it's awkward. Not to quench him, but to allow God through his spirit to work freely in us and through us. Like what would it be like if we fell in love with God in such a way that the natural outflow of our lives was worship and witness. You see, the church at Ephesus met, it, it met its demise because it forgot this. It forgot its first love. It fell out of love with God and more in love with culture. It fell out of love with God and more in love with the things that were right in front of it. It got distracted and they, and they allowed the culture to lead them rather than them leading the culture. And ultimately, they ignored their health, and it led to their death. The church flatlined. There was no bringing it back to life. And so, church, I would suggest to you that we need to perform regular spiritual checkups. That as a leader of the church, that we as leaders need to perform spiritual checkups on the church. And you as individuals you need to perform spiritual checkups on your life. 
And let me suggest that you need to ask yourself five really important questions. You might want to write them down. They won't be on the screen, but you should write them down. The first one is this. Am I learning from God's word? Am I learning from God's word on a regular basis? The second one is, am I caring for others? Am I caring? Am I taking the time to care for others? Like when I call someone, if they've been gone, and I say, hey, we've missed you, their response should be, hey, don't worry about it. Five other people have already called me and checked on me. Like, I'm good. Five other people have already done that. Like, we should be caring for one another uh, and regularly. And the third question that we should be asking is, am I worshiping individually and am I worshiping with my church family regularly? Am I worshiping? The next question is, is prayer a priority in my life? Have I made prayer a priority in my life? Am I praying throughout the day? Not just to bless my meal, but am I actually praying? Am I praying for people? Am I praying for my community? Am I praying for my church? Am I praying for my neighbors? Am I praying? And then the last question is this. Am I intentionally spreading the good news by sneezing on people regularly? What have I done to tell someone about Jesus? How have I been a witness this week? We need to regularly, weekly, daily ask ourselves these questions. We need to have these spiritual checkups because remember this, that only healthy churches are contagious churches. We say that we want to see people's lives transformed around here. We say we want to reach the 90%. The only way we can reach the 90% is if we're a healthy church because healthy churches are contagious churches. It's not enough. (laughs) Hear me. Hear me with a good heart. It's not enough to have good coffee. It's not enough to have good music. It's not enough to have fancy lights. It's not enough to have relevant messages. It's not enough to have amazing kids ministries if we're not a healthy church because only healthy churches are contagious. To be a contagious church, we gotta be a learning church. To be a contagious church, we gotta be a caring church. To be a contagious church, we gotta be a worshiping church. To be a contagious church, we gotta be a praying church. To be a contagious church, we have to be a witnessing church. You can't have four without the fifth. You can't have two out of three. You gotta have all five, all five to be a healthy church. You can't say, well, Pastor Rick, we're really good at being a caring church. That's great, but we gotta be a witnessing church too. Well, Pastor Rick, we pray often, that's great, but we gotta be a learning church too. We gotta be all five. If you don't have one, it all falls apart. And so let me just ask you today, if you were to take a spiritual checkup how would you be? Like, what would the diagnosis be? Would the doctor say, you're healthy, come see me in six months? Would the doctor say, hey, you really need to look at this, this, and this? Would the doctor prescribe you some more time in the word of God? Maybe the doctor would prescribe you to spend more time sneezing on people. Maybe the doctor would say, hey, you really should be praying more often. Just ask yourself the question, am I doing what I need to be doing so that my church can be healthy And so that we can reach those that have no idea who Jesus is. A healthy church is a contagious church. And a contagious church is a healthy church. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much, God, for your word. Lord, it is so rich and deep and full of so many good things. And God, I thank you just for these five verses that help us to see the markers of a healthy church, Lord. God, the church is your bride. You created the church. 
You create, it's your deal, it's your idea, it's for your, uh, your vision is to see the church reach the masses and the nations so that all people, every man, every woman, and every child would come before you. Lord, there's so many people in our community that have no clue who you are. They don't even know there's a God out there that loves them or the God that they've been told about is a God that they have to fear or be afraid of. God, that's just not who you are. And so Lord, I pray that we, Warehouse Church, that we would do our part by taking spiritual checkups every so often to make sure that we're on the right path so that our church can be healthy and so that our church can be contagious. Lord, it's not gonna just take Warehouse Church, it's gonna take a lot of churches to reach Floyd County. But Lord, we wanna do our part. We wanna be a healthy church. We wanna be a role model for other churches. We want other churches to see what a healthy church looks like. That we're not just that church that meets in a warehouse. We're not just that church that does Bluegrass Sunday. We're not just that church that has a really cool kids ministry. But we're a church that loves the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And because we do that, the natural outflow is that we're a church that worships and witnesses. We're a church that prays and falls in love with the teachings of God's word. We're a church that cares about each other. So God, I pray that right now as we're sitting in our seats that maybe we just do a little spiritual checkup right now that we would ask ourselves, is it well with my soul? Am I healthy? Am I good? Would I get a good grade on my checkup? Do I have five out of five? Is there an area I'm lacking in that I need to improve on? Just, just spend a few minutes, just ask yourself that. And then Lord, I know there's some people in here that may have never given their life to Jesus. Lord, they've never said yes to you. They've never experienced your love. They've never experienced your forgiveness. They've never experienced your grace. And all of those are amazing. And Father, I pray that today would be the day that they would say yes to you so that they could experience those things. And Lord, your word says that it's really not hard. It's kind of simple. It says that we just have to believe in our hearts that you died on the cross for our sins and confess it with our mouths. Believe it in our hearts and confess it with our mouths. So if that's you this morning, maybe you just take a moment to confess that you have been living your life without the Lord, but that today you're recognizing that you need Jesus in your life, that you realize that you are a sinner, that you have done things and you've done things uh, the wrong way, and you wanna live a life filled with hope and joy and purpose and peace and forgiveness and grace. Just confess it. Just tell the Lord, God, this is who I am. This is not who I want to be. I want to be yours. Would you come and be my Lord and Savior right here, right now? God, may we get healthy so that others may experience your goodness. We love you, Lord. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. Amen. Well, as we wrap up with our closing song, um, It Is Well, 
And uh, I want to invite you, if you'd love to come to the altar and pray and spend time in prayer, then now would be a great time to do that. Uh, our house is your house, so feel free, feel welcome, stay here as long as you'd like. If you want someone to pray with you, just tap me on the shoulder, I'm right up here in the front row. I'd be honored to pray with you. Um, maybe you just want to come up and ask that question, am I spiritually healthy? Maybe you just want to go through this spiritual checklist as we sing our closing song. But let's stand together and, uh, and let's sing this together with our whole hearts.